0: Hey everybody, it is Thursday, June 30th, and uh, we have news here for the Arabist podcast. First of all, there's been a coup, a revolution. The dictator, Isandra Lamorani, has been sent into exile in his native Morocco or Belgium or wherever the hell he's really from. And me and the esteemed Ursula Lindsay will be your podcasters this week. Say hello, Ursula.
1: Hi, everybody. Yeah, Isander is in, I think Morocco at the at by today, and uh, he'll be talking about the referendum that's taking place there on next week's podcast. But in the meantime, it's just me and Ashraf, and um, we are not uh, recording in the Arabist studio, our very our very high tech <laughs> studio. Uh, as you can maybe tell from the background noise, we're actually in a car right now, so. Why don't you tell people where we are?
0: Well, I, I'll, I'll tell people where we are not. We are not in the courtroom witnessing the verdict for the two police officers accused of killing Khaled Said last June. Today was supposed to be a momentous day for uh, Egyptian justice. Khaled Saeed, as many of you know, is is one of the the martyrs of the police state who really sparked the revolution, his, his, his memory and his example. A young man who was about 28 years old, who was killed by plainclothes police officers in Alexandria last June, really touched a nerve, really became this rallying point for people opposing the emergency laws and the police state. And it got so big that the government couldn't even effectively cover it up and had to throw two of their own overboard and put two officers on trial today was supposed to be the verdict. Uh, we were about 40 minutes outside of Alexandria when word came down, thanks to Twitter, that the case had been postponed. And it was very informative for about five minutes there watching how it worked on Twitter because at first it was like people were, were saying, what? Oh my God, justice has not been served. The cover-up. And it's like People were ready to take to the streets. And then very quickly the word comes down that it was postponed at the request of Khaled Said's family who apparently have gotten a new autopsy this comes by way of a, of a colleague of ours who spoke to one of the family's lawyers that apparently they got an independent autopsy have submitted that into evidence and the delay is so that the judges can consider upping the charges essentially to the western equivalent from manslaughter to first degree murder
1: yeah we were we were we were disappointed and ready to be indignant at the postponement but it sounds like uh, there, were, there, there are valid reasons. And m- maybe we could step back. So first, uh, we're, we're gonna put this, this case in context with some of the things that have been happening over the last days and the question of prosecuting police. Uh, I just wanna step back first and talk a little bit more about Khaled Saeed for, for anybody who's not familiar with him. Everyone in Egypt is. Um, he, as Ashraf said, became the, the face and the symbol of opposition to the Mubarak regime. And the We'il Ghonaym, the Google executive who is now world-famous uh, for for helping to, to plan for the protests online, created a Facebook group called We Are All Khaled Said, which now has over a million members, and which was very instrumental in creating online the and, and among the middle classes and young people uh, creating the, the sense of how wrong things were in the months leading up to the revolution, and that there was an, a need for change. And, and I think one of the things that's interesting about Khalid Said is what happened to him had happened to many, unfortunately, to many people before, to be brutalized, to be, to be killed by the police. There have been several cases, and, and what was remarkable, though, is that he was a good middle-class boy and from a, you know, an educated, from, from a good family. And a lot of people had let this police brutality pass when it happened perhaps to uh, you know, their, their doorman's son or to somebody from, from the lower class. But it was when the, the Egyptian middle classes also felt that, that the police now could act with total impunity against everybody. Uh, that was also a turning point.
0: Yeah, that's one, of, that's one of the theories as to why the Khaled Sa'id case resonated so widely and so deeply uh, here in Egypt. and it, Because, as, as, as you said, Ursula, it, he was hardly the first guy killed by the police. It was hardly the first case covered up. It was hardly the first case where there was photographic or video evidence. And it was hardly the first case in the age of Facebook. So you can't blame all that. It was something else. And, and a lot of people have said it's a class thing.
1: Well, it was, and it was all those things, too. I mean, there was, there was this lovely picture of, portrait of him, and then there was this horrific picture of his battered face. There, there was, it seemed to be an egregious case. There was testimony by many eyewitnesses that these plainclothes policemen beat him practically in the street, um, so, so there, was, there was strong circumstantial evidence, there were these really striking images, and then there was just this idea of who he was, you know, it's, it's when this happened to lower class people without connections, um, without friends and family who can sort of speak articulately about them and defend them, the police can present them as criminals and drug dealers and, and good for nothings, and, and public opinion, you know, would, would be readier to believe that, I think.
0: So, so now where we stand is is the the, the, the Said case is continued until late September which might just be in the middle of elections for all we know but uh, stay tuned we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes but obviously that that touches on something this case of justice and accountability obviously this is pre-revolution but last week on the podcast we talked a lot about what seems to be an apparent, Lack or perceived lack of accountability within the security services that is feeding rising tensions among activists, among protesters. And we've had a a busy week, apparently, a busy couple of days. The last two days in Tahrir have seen serious clashes, a resumption of clashes with the police, the central security, the reconstituted central security forces, and some very angry protesters in Tahrir. Ursula?
1: Yeah, over a thousand people injured, and and, 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 and and I put what happened in Tahrir in the last two days, I think actually sort of started over the weekend when the with the trial of the former interior minister Habib al-Adli, which was also postponed, and uh, families of the martyrs, of people who were killed in the revolution, are trying to attend this trial and are not being allowed in, and uh, they basically... Uh, became violent when it was postponed once again and they saw you know the the vehicles was allowedly leaving uh, th- then there was a protest in front of Masbiro that i think included some of the families of the martyrs like that.
0: is the Ministry of Information
1: Yeah the radio and TV building downtown which is a s- constant site of protests and then the following evening it's not clear exactly what sparked it but there was an event to honor families of the martyrs somehow f- there, there may have been an altercation there Then somehow this turned into a march To Tahrir And it was, you know, families of the martyrs Activists uh, all, all all, the young people Who are frustrated with the process And uh, brave enough To take on the police Ended up in Tahrir Fighting for hours With uh, state security troops And who, who, who apparently Shot tear gas at people Who were just peacefully Congregating in the square,
0: yeah, the images that I saw looked it looked very intense, it looked uh very angry and raw on both sides it's It's still a bit of a of a mystery what sparked this particular clash but but those of us who have been here and watching can tell you that tensions have been rising steadily for several weeks and months, not just the Lack of accountability, the lack of, of successful prosecution of senior Ministry of Interior people, as we mentioned last week, one guy has been convicted, and that was in absentia.
1: And this I think he was a low- level policeman.
0: Add that in with the whole debacle about the virginity tests last March. The people who were protesters in Tahrir who were, who were continuing to protest were rounded up by the army, and the, according to testimony of several female protesters were submitted to virginity tests by the military and... and...
1: Not just testimony, I mean, and the military finally has come out and and admitted it. Have they admitted it, officially? They have because they've justified, they've given the reason why they were forced to do this, which is supposedly to protect themselves from charges of rape. They've said we had to do it because when we took these women into custody, we were afraid they would accuse us of rape. This this was an official statement by a, by a military and he they they said and by the way none of them were virgins.
0: So if someone's not a virgin then she can't accuse
1: It does, doesn't make any sense. That's but insane logic. I know. And also and previously there were these weird statements where they said like oh but these girls you know they're not like your daughters they were sleeping overnight in tents what's mm-hmm. but, but the thing is that they have admitted that they did it. They
0: have. Okay, well, I suppose that's better than some half-assed cover-up, but it's still an awful, <laughs> vile thing, and their logic is quite evil, and, and it's indicative of why there's been such an erosion of faith, and I suppose we should be clear, this isn't like Egypt is losing faith with the generals. This is a segment, and we're not entirely sure that this represents anything close to a minority, or a much ma- majority. This might be a vocal minority. I think a large number of Egyptians are so desperate for stability are inclined to trust the military no matter what I I can't say that Egypt is turning against the military but some people are many of whom were instrumental in the revolution
1: I think there's two separate issues here that there's how much trust people have in the in the in the military their relationship with the SCAF, and then there's Um, the question of the accountability of the police and the judicial process because people have quite different views on the police and the army so yes there is it's probably a small activist community that is willing to directly criticize and challenge the army but there's a general concern I I think quite quite widely spread among the public which is is anybody going to get sentenced you hear people ask that question a lot do you, people ask me as a journalist all the time do you think that like Mubarak will really get sentenced will will really get sentenced there and there's people are very interested in whether this will happen because it will mark a real change
0: i, I think you're right that, that that issue the issue of sentencing and accountability for the behavior of the police state is a much more widely followed and resonant issue than do you trust the military. I think that, that that a lot more people are following that one a lot more closely and it's going to be interesting to see if they try to sort of like I think one of the scenarios that we're looking at here is that like the civilians in suits go to jail maybe not the Mubarak family but like Ahmed Ez, the sort of steel magnate, steel oligarch who was a prominent and uh, National Democratic Party guy some of the regime fixers but the police state and the officers close ranks and with either somehow sort of work the system or are in goats with the judicial system to just kind of keep it the way it's going. That's that's I think what a lot of people are afraid of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think you have this huge problem where the Ministry of Interior is does not see the benefit to itself of having of publicly cleaning house and that 99% of policemen in this country think that if the principle of accountability is born they will they cannot exercise their function they can only exercise their function as completely unaccountable totally powerful jerks they there is there is so this is a this is a like institutional cultural problem like the the idea that you can have a working police force with authority with credibility that is accountable is a completely new idea and unfortunately i think they're closing ranks they're re- rejecting this idea and but it, on the other hand people are really not ready to let to let things go back to the way they were and and you hear there have been instances of torture since the revolution and but, but people aren't going to stand for it, I think. I think this is why it's such a flashpoint is like is Egypt really gonna go back to being a police state? People are not ready to accept that.
0: Well I think that's a, that, that's a very good point in that that I don't think a lot of people are into challenging the military or the way the military is handling the culture. I think that is a vocal minority and I do think they're going to run afoul of public opinion if they continue to, they're going to be regarded as a disruptive element in a vulnerable country if they continue to challenge the military. The police, on the other hand, are fair game. I think a page has been turned, I don't think, I think a point of no return has been passed in the people's relationship with the police that the police, the people are not going to put up with that.
1: I like to think that too, although I think that they, the police themselves, have not accepted that. and. I have heard a couple horrific stories. There was a story in Egyptian news uh, three or four days ago about um, um, a taxi car driver getting into an accident with with policemen, a minivan taxi driver, and uh, one of his customers standing up for him, like taking the driver's side in this in this accident and the altercation that followed. And the policeman, this was outside Cairo beat him, stripped him naked tortured him, this is in the middle of the road and the officer made him like, kiss his feet so there are still psychopaths out there who think who are trying to get that power back and, and this is why people are fighting in Tahrir right now So, we've decided that it might be of interest uh, to listeners also to just uh, discuss what, what we're working on, what stories we're, we're writing, and, and who, who we've met in the week. What have you been up to this week?
0: Well, I've, I've been up to the same thing I've been up to for most of the last uh, month and a half, which is writing a book. Uh, based about the revolution, what led to the revolution, and as much of the aftermath as we can get into it. I've had to, uh, I've virtually disappeared socially from from, from Cairo and uh, have walked away from all of my various strings and employers. And I'm pretty much just doing this full time. This, this reporting trip up to Alexandria was was supposed to be kind of my emergence into the sunlight after weeks and weeks of just me and the computer screen and the cat. So I'm working on a book about the revolution and the most recent things I've been doing. I've been looking backwards as much as sort of staying in touch with current events and and the two chapters that I was looking at most recently were about Muhammad al-Baradai and the the effect he had for good or bad, what you know, how he's regarded, how his campaign went and about Khaled Said and and really trying to explore what it was, as we discussed earlier on in the podcast, that was, that was, that was about why he resonated so strongly, uh, why he, rather than, I mean, there were a number of people who could have become the martyr that represented the emergency laws, but it was him. So I've been living and breathing al Baradai and, and Khered Saeed lately.
1: So, unfortunately, today you didn't get the perfect end to your narrative arc. I you're you're going to have to wait till September for that.
0: I'm annoyed. It, 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 this is really inconvenient for me, all this justice and procedures and, and stuff like that. It's, it's really inconsiderate of me and my needs and my schedule.
1: And your publisher's and needs.
0: And my publishers. And it's just, it's just rude. So.
1: Well, yeah. Sorry. sorry. So, Ursula, what have you
0: been working on? <laughs>
1: Uh, let me think so i've i've been- i've been writing sort of for, for some time now i've i've been trying to do a story about <clears throat> women in and after the revolution in egypt, so looking at um, whether You know what gains there possibly might might be for them, um, both in terms of political, mostly in terms of political participation. Unfortunately, what I found so far is, uh, I mean, of course, we all know Egyptian women played a really great active role in the revolution absolutely they were among the activists they were they they laid the groundwork for it they continue to some of the some of these the the group for example that has brought a lot of attention to uh, military trials for civilians is run by a couple young women in their early 20s they they're doing amazing work but uh in terms of political participation it doesn't look too good i have to say uh... A, a lot of people a lot of women are concerned that there's going to be very few women in the parliament that gets elected this fall.
0: Well, what about among the activist ranks? Because as you said, I mean I remember specifically noting this in my notebook on January 28th on the day that that the protesters took lasting hold of Tahrir Square, that there was a lot of women in the crowd, that it was almost disproportionate of all ages, all apparent, Social backgrounds, uh, religious—you know—just as much as you could tell from from talking to someone and seeing how they're dressed—that there was a, a very high percentage of women in the crowds from the very start and all through the revolution in Tahrir. One of the things I was recently in in London at a seminar that was touching on the Arab Spring, and there was a woman named Sally Toma, who was uh, who, you, who you've met before, who was one of the one of the one of the women involved in the revolution.
1: I was with her by chance on the morning of January 28th, yeah.
0: Exactly. And, and Sally said something at the time that, that post-revolution amidst all the kind of like alpha male jockeying for position and stuff that some of the women have gotten squeezed out a little bit from, you know, maybe just because it, it, it we, we, we get to this sort of like power game stuff. And they either naturally defer, or they think it's all silly, or whatever. But but she made it sound like there had been a bit of a that the that even among the ranks of the serious democracy activists, it's kind of had that effect. Is that something you've seen one way or the other?
1: I mean, it's something I hear. I in the sense that look, women face women the world over have 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 similar problems. So so two two main problems they have in in sort of rising into leadership positions in public life is one just the domestic demands which tend to be heavier on them so women are usually less free to dedicate all their time to something like you know rising to be party head and it takes time and energy to sort of plot your way to the top they might have <laughs> children they might you know especially in Egypt they will have they will they will be expected to have a family and they will be expected to do most of the work to take care of that family so one thing is just logistical and the other thing is and again, this isn't particular to Egypt, but Egypt does have very traditional gender roles. The other thing is that uh, women, I do think, hesitate to put themselves forward. They hesitate more than men to to compete openly for power, basically. And and this when is when it comes I, down
0: to the Machiavellian plotting stage of things.
1: And the and the sort of like I should be the boss of this party, like give give me the power. I should be in charge of this committee. What I see a lot is, is young women uh, chairing committees, uh, you know, doing doing great work, running organizations, but then in the actual political parties, and I, I, I don't see a lot of women up on the podium speaking. I don't see any presidents of parties who are female. And then, of course, forget it, in the government, there's, I think, no fem- female ministers. Um, you know, there's never been a female governor. There's almost no female judges. Uh, there's a lot of things that women just don't get appointed to, and then and then I think there's a hesitation to insist that uh, they should be given uh, positions of power, especially at a time like this, like you say, where there's a lot of men competing for the new t- to be heads of all these new movements and these new parties,
0: yeah, I mean that would that would be a shame if it if it really breaks down this way. i mean i d- I do think there's going to be very little female representation in the parliament this time around but I would like to see a new generation of female political leaders newly politicized uh, and and I'm actually I was going to use the word empowered but I'm no, I hate that word so <laughs> so I never said that we're going to stick with politicized and who who maybe build up over the coming years and come the next parliamentary election are ready along with a lot of the other activist forces from but it is it is very disappointing that even among the Tahrir people, when it gets down to... Because we, we've got a situation with a lot of coalitions are forming, new movements are coming up, and these people fall out with these people, and they name themselves some other faction. And it's all very messy, and it's hard to keep track of. And it's it's good. It's, it's people learning how to be Democrats and disagree politely without violence or anyone being a traitor. But if this is all happening among guys, then that is not the revolution. That is not what... We witnessed that is not what liberated Egypt.
1: Well, I, I mean,
0: <laughs> yes, we are on a kind of car on a highway. Yeah. <laughs>
1: what what I would say is I think there are there is a generation of really cool, really amazing young women, and they are going to do things, and they are they're. There, there is a generation of women who will be influential. I'm optimistic about the long term, but I think,
0: yeah. as
1: often happens right after revolutions, uh, and especially as power goes from being the sort of freewheeling protest movement power to getting actually solidified and institutionalized into coalitions and parties and government, and women are not, are not being considered very much and women are just kind of getting cut out in the competition and it'll take them time to impose themselves and it will be and and it will be a, a fight I mean the, the women I've talked to who've been the most optimistic and the most Uh, successful themselves women who you know the country's only female judges I spoke to and I spoke to Gamila Ismail I'm a Norse ex-wife who ran for parliament and is running again
0: and who who has a chance who, who might get in
1: right and and they are and they say they say you know of course I don't expect the the army to appoint women I don't expect the interim cabinet to come looking for us I don't expect anybody to offer us anything or take us particularly into account or say you know please come join us on the podium they say, um, but we're not going to wait for an invitation. You have to just, you have to be willing to be aggressive.
0: That's the word. You keep coming back to that word. And it's, it's, it's true in that you know, one of the things that's happening is that, I mean, this is still a culture, and even the West in America, it's still like this, where even, a, you know, a woman being aggressive and ambitious is looked at in a way that a man being aggressive and ambitious is not. And, you know, probably double that triple it maybe and that's the society we've got going here in Egypt right now so I think things right now get very Machiavellian and very aggro and the women either defer or their their domestic duties prevent them from being full-time Machiavellian plotters or it's a number of things.
1: Or they act in the role of kind of advisors and, and supporters and aides but they're not quite in charge which is the way things have been are here in a lot of institutions right that, that the women are very present and but but they're not usually in the in the in the higher leadership positions and to go back to this, the the question of parliament what's of concern is that probably the women's quota a quota that was instituted by the Mubarak regime and that was problematic in the way it was set up will be cancelled um, I think the last time that there was a parliamentary election without a quota, there were either four or eight women out of 445 who elected were elected. or were they even Ele- appointed? I don't even, I yeah. think, I. Uh, God, I don't know. It might be that a few were appointed and a few were elected. So, you know, and the, and the, and the thing is that this parliament is going to supposedly oversee the writing of the new constitution so it is a particular a disproportionately influential parliament that will have no women
0: and and, and as we said it's like not just during the revolution I, I was just thinking as we're having this conversation last summer almost exactly a year ago um, I accompanied a group of volunteers distributing or gathering signatures on a petition for Mohammed al uh, petition for, for his seven-point changes that he wanted made, his demands for domestic reform. And there was, I'm trying to think back on it now, there was about 20 people, all volunteers, we were wandering through a neighborhood called Hadaik Helwan, and it was about 60% women, the group I was in. And they're hitting the streets, they're canvassing. I mean, this was, this has been a period of in- incredible politicization. Politization, is that a word? politicization thank you very much <laughs> uh, for women and 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 that really does need to continue
1: yeah no I think it I think it will but it's actually not surprising I mean the idea that after the revolution everybody would see this this leap forward nah. um, if, if you look it not just women women young people the poor workers the country's uh, religious minorities Christian minority nobody has seen any none of the people who are who are who are perhaps most marginalized have seen any direct improvement in their life yet these are all things they're going to have to figure out how to effectively fight for in the years to come anything else
0: <laughs> I think we're good I think this has been a productive Session. Uh, I'm sorry. Well,
1: yeah. Look at us multitasking. You know? Exactly. We traveling and and podcasting at the same time. We didn't
0: get you your courtroom ambient sound from Khadid and Said, but we we did get the two of us chatting away over the hopefully not too annoying sound of, of highway rushing by.
1: And, and um, next week, I think Asander will be
0: back. Are we letting him come back? Are you sure? Have you really thought about this?
1: Well, okay. Next next week, perhaps we'll allow Isander to come back. I promised him we would make fun of him quite a bit. We'll consider
0: this. his petition for return on you know, you know, with conditions
1: for for readmission to the Erebus podcast.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah, let's see if I manage to actually get this podcast up before we start threatening Isander <laughs> with kicking him out because we might need his technical he skills. Might be the
0: only one who could actually work the the, the editing and the, the, the computer.
1: All right, well, um, till next week, uh, bye from the Arabist podcast team.
0: Bye.